Welcome to the Metaverse Podcast. My name is Noah Kravitz. This is episode six. Coming up on the program, a conversation with Kareem Hijazi. Kareem is the founder and CEO of the cybersecurity company Prevalion. That's actually how we met. I've been doing uh, some work with Prevalion for the past year and a half or so. So Kareem is here today. He's a multi-time uh, entrepreneur, a veteran of the cybersecurity and intelligence gathering industry, and also a podcaster. He's got a pod called the Introverted Iconoclast. Uh, he talks about that a little bit right at the beginning of the conversation. Check it out. He's It's a natural fit for him. He's uh, just fascinating to listen to. He's seen a lot in his professional career and uh, always has a good story to tell. So we talk podcasting a little bit, but mostly we talk security, cybersecurity as it relates to blockchain, Web3, and the metaverse. Uh, in case you missed it last week, there was another massive heist on the blockchain, $600 million plus worth of cryptocurrency and assets were stolen from the Ronin network, which is the bridge network that underpins something called Axie Infinity, which is a massively popular play-to-earn game on the blockchain. Uh, 600 I forget the latest count, but over half a billion dollars, $600 billion plus worth of assets, assets were stolen. Uh, so we get into the cybersecurity considerations around the blockchain and Web3, how the technology is sort of immature, at least as pertains to security and what that may pretend for the future of the space. Uh, We also talk about crypto whales, (laughs) which is fun. And then we get into the future of digital identity. And uh, as more and more of people's identities kind of merge offline, online, and we're doing more in these sort of customized identities on the web and Web3 and in the metaverse, uh, what does that mean? What are some of the risks? What could go wrong? What are some of the things that we should be thinking about right now while hopefully we still can? I'm going to cut it off from there because Kareem gets into this much more. It's just much better to listen to him than it is to listen to me talk about this stuff. So we'll get right into it. Kareem Hijazi from Pavilion and the Introverted Iconoclast podcast right here on Metaverse. Enjoy. All right, Kareem Hijazi is here. Kareem is the founder and CEO of Prevalion, a cybersecurity company, uh, which, as I mentioned in the intro, full disclosure, I have had the privilege of working with uh, Prevalion and, and Kareem and his team for, gosh, man, like a year and a half almost now, I think. I don't know, COVID destroyed my sense of time like everybody else. Uh, but so I've been working with you guys for a while now, doing some content, social media stuff. Uh, so Thrilled to have you come on to talk about a bunch of things that I would imagine, but cybersecurity. Um, you also are a podcaster. You've got a pod. Uh, why don't we start? Why don't you say hi and tell the folks a little bit about your podcast? Sure, Noah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you uh, inviting me to your uh, to your podcast. So yeah, so I um, I kind of fell into podcasting. Funny enough, it was inspired by a phone call to you, and I <laughs> gave you a call, and I said, "Hey, man, I'm I, curious." I, I, I set you up for the cheap compliment. So yeah, thanks, thanks for taking the bait. <laughs> It was awesome, man. No, you gave me huge uh, amounts of information that that I needed to kind of get going. And I'll be honest, in classic fashion, I did the classic podcaster, early podcaster thing. I bought all the equipment, I set up, I had it like perfect, right? The room was padded up and it was just ready to go. And I sat there and I stared at my mic. Yeah. 
Yep. That's what happens. Yeah. I think everyone does that. But then I finally got myself going and kind of got over that ridiculousness of having to need for it to be perfect and all that. But, you know, everything, everything was set up, but I'll tell you the hardest part was what do I name it? You know, and what is the voice of the show? What kinds of things do I want to really talk about? Do I want it to be this giant ad for what I do? As a right, right, right. Yeah. All those things were like, no, you know, scribbling them out. And then I finally came to terms with the title, which I thought was very appropriate because and I don't know if I've even told you this. I think when we last chatted about this, I hadn't really articulated some of the, well, I may have shared this with you. I always wanted to write a book. Um, mm. That was kind of my swan song plan anyway. And I thought, you know, that's what I'll do. And then when I started to learn more about the podcasting realm and just effectively how powerful and expansive it was, that took the place of this idea of being my um, method for delivering my memoir effectively. Right. Right, right, right. It was cool. Yeah. It was perfect. And it allowed for chapters and it allowed for new entrants to come in, like guests and all kinds of things. So I was like, this is just perfect. This is the medium I really wanted to probably do. Didn't realize it when I was starting, but got there. So the name of it is The Introverted Iconoclast, which is kind of an interesting title because it's contradictory in nature to begin with. Uh, but it and really it, defines me. Yeah, yeah. And it hits the alliteration thing, which is great. It sticks yeah. in your head, definitely. <laughs> you finally well, got some alliteration. Well, well, we were we were talking before we hit record, and, and I'll say this to folks as a plug. Um, you know, you've got a deep background in cybersecurity and, and intelligence, uh, the intelligence industry, and you've you've seen and lived through a lot of things. Yeah. Um, so there's a wealth of of information on on that realm as well as the stuff you get into talking about being an entrepreneur and you know, uh, podcasting now and just kind of um the things that people gravitate towards listening to in podcasts. Um, and so it's, it's great. You've also got a great voice for it. And so I was, I was joking, but in complete seriousness, before we, we got on the line, I was listening to, I think as we tape, it's your latest or, or second to latest episode yep. called cyber war. And um, if anybody could make me feel, and, and to listeners this is the plug, go check it out. <laughs> if anybody can make you feel up to date and like, you know, you, you know what you need to be thinking about with everything going on and, the Russian invasion, Ukraine, and and just cybersecurity and the role of the internet in general, and how if you know bad actors can make things go wrong in, in ways that a lot of people don't think about. But to do it in a way that kept me calm, because I know you and I know you know what you're talking about, but your voice is just deep and rich and level. And I was just like, oh, right, I will think about these scenarios. And I'll feel okay about it because Kareem's voice is in my head. So, uh, Thank so you, definitely man. recommend folks go check it out. Um, but what I want to talk to you about today, or at least to get started, um, is, you know, the, the things that people are talking about with the metaverse right now and this notion of Web3 right. and, and really just kind of where the internet is headed. Um, and there are these words, you know, decentralization and NFTs and, and the blockchain, and all this stuff laying around. One of the big things that I've been learning about is... Um, these notions of identity and community. And as you, you know, step further and further into living an online life that isn't separate from your offline life, but it's, you know, they, the two inform each other. Mm -hmm. um, I've met a lot of folks who are, you know, mostly younger or quite a bit younger than me and deeper into the communities of, you know, using discord there's kind of these, these home bases for all these communities that they participate in mm -hmm. and, you know, NFTs and virtual skins and clothing and things that, um, you know, you can use to express yourself in your online identity. Um, there's potentially a huge rabbit hole 
that we're, we might be headed towards that um, has to do with, you know, identity theft, maybe is one way to say it. What, you know, you, you were, I'm trying to lead into an intro here, but I should just stop talking to let you talk about it. Cause, cause we were talking about this offline and, and you started right. to get into it. Um, what are some of the risks, some of the cybersecurity issues that come to your mind when, you know, we're talking about these things, even something like a PFP, a profile picture on Twitter, you know, Twitter is now rolling out NFT support, mm-hmm. right? Right. And and that opens up a whole sort of spider web of of ripple effects. And so yeah. maybe, you know, I'll, I'll leave it there and let you kind of get into a little bit of the things that you're seeing when you think about this stuff. Sure. Yeah, no, it's a great lead in. And uh, there's a whole kind of matrices of things that are all, as you said, intertwined and connected. And I think the overarching theme, which I'll start with, which is old, it's not new, which is yeah. the interesting thing about this. This is just a re- generation of an old problem possibly that's going to be manifesting um, that really is around identity as you mentioned and more more specifically the risk of how that identity could be leveraged I think I want to be clear about that yeah uh, because what's interesting is that pre web 3 pre you know metaverse and uh, virtual worlds the risk was your your kind of assets, you know, that, that like a credit card information or possibly, you know, your um, social security number and all the old school concerns that still remain today were the fear. Oh, what if that gets harvested and leveraged somewhere out there? Right. Then as we've seen recently, and this is still an evolving thing, this whole idea of a deep fake where, well, now your actual likeness can be leveraged in a way that wasn't intended and not really you and all that. I think that loosely, translated the metaverse introduces this incredible interesting opportunity of uh and i'll get to the nft piece in a minute but yeah the, the notional idea that now there's this avatar right that becomes a version of you that is your skin um but it's a suit you know you brought the analogy up of a, of a of like a suit of armor that you get to wear you change and you do what you want but no one really knows who's in that suit necessarily. Right. And it's in, it could conceivably be an easy thing for someone to get inside of and be you in a, in a very important meeting or environment in some place that some large company decides to embrace this heavily and they have their corporate shareholders meetings and they have their earnings reports delivered through that. And good Lord, what happens when someone gets in there and delivers the wrong information intentionally to sabotage the firm? Right. What if they use that for something far more nefarious and slow, which is like a, a disinformation campaign for political reasons? I mean, it's not always just this one hit wonder smash and grab approach. It's could, these could be very long term effects that can be sort of seeded in those environments. So it's really precarious. I think that this, but you know, that's the negative. The positive is this opens up massive opportunities for young entrepreneurs to start looking at those challenges, identifying ways to qualify and fingerprint yourself. The old Bond movie where he had a signature gun, where you had to have a fingerprint right. to use the weapon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Something like that. Right. I know right. I'm being a little silly with that, but that's kind no, of but it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well there, you know, we, we were, we were talking before when I, decided to, to do the podcast. I had made this kind of list of um, folks who I wanted to try to talk to first. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them were journalists or, you know, bloggers, observers of the space. Right. And a lot of them had, um, oh, what I would deem healthily skeptical takes on, you know, my, the first thing that grabbed my eye was kind of the NFT bubble, right? The headlines, mm-hmm. the 
board apes selling for millions of dollars and all that stuff. And so I got kind of sucked in by this idea of, you know, oh, this is a, a financial scam, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the more that I started learning about the space, one thing that really caught my eye was, um, you know, this is all, I shouldn't say caught my eye, but just kind of became clear. It was like, okay, this is, this is new technology. And even though the blockchain and a lot of this tech has been around for, you know, roughly a decade, longer than a lot of people might realize, it's still pretty nascent, right? And it's certainly entering into this mainstream moment where, um, you know, more and more people are, are doing stuff. And so there are bugs to be worked out. Um, But I've still been shocked by, and maybe I have this wrong, but shocked by how many things I've read, you know, news blog, news, news pieces, uh, blog, blog posts about scams or about thefts or about frauds uh, related to, you know, NFTs and, and crypto wallets. And then it really seems like the exploit that made the, the, the heists possible were these right. really dead simple coding errors or, you know, the, the yeah. way these systems are set up. A lot of these crypto wallets, which are kind of the, the um, key to not just your financial assets, but your identity sure. and all these other things, they're just, they're not, they don't feel robust to me. They feel like they're, they're very, I don't know, just for the amount of money and the amount of, as, yeah. as you said, you know, not just financially, but, but the other things that go with an identity, um, the, the, just the the security seems really yeah. lax. I, I don't know how much how much you've dipped your toes into these waters, but is that is that am I on the right track here? You are. You are absolutely on the right track. <laughs> so I'll give you an anecdote um, that absolutely illustrates your point. I think it was probably a week and a half ago. I was speaking to a crypto investor of of magnitude, did yeah. really really well. Oh, what, can we call call them a crypto whale? Crypto whale. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah, Without okay. question, this is a crypto whale. I mean, okay. we're talking an immense amount of money and just started really early. So managed to get on the massive rise of Bitcoin. And then ever since has just been on this incredible tear. I'm sure he's had up, ups and downs, but he's in a wonderful position. Yeah. But he's 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 miserable. I mean, he's absolutely horrified because his thing was obviously cold storage of this stuff. And, and he was misinformed. This is a person that you'd think would be absolutely up to speed on all the aspects of how all this works. He, he certainly knows how to maneuver crypto and how to move it. He knows the exchanges. He knows which one's probably to play with it, which was not to and all that. But what he didn't know was, for example, and this is not a knock on any brand or vendor that pr- provides these things. He was under the impression that these cold storage wallets were the key to security. Right. Yes. And just to, to stop, stop yeah. you for a Go second, for, for folks who are new to all yes. this, cold storage, meaning an actual piece of hardware right. that instead of, so these crypto wallets are online, all right, maybe you can explain it better mm. than I can. No, you're doing your great. But, you know, crypto exactly. wallets are these online things, basically, that, um, you know, they, they serve, they serve as everything. They serve as holding your actual cryptocurrency. They can mm-hmm. hold your NFTs. They also can allow you serve as sort of credentials to log into the different exchanges and um, metaverse spaces, you know, sandbox right. to central and stuff. Okay. So yep. then a cold storage would be a physical version of this that you can physically remove from the network. That's right. Well, in theory. So that's in the theory. problem. Theory. That's, okay. where, that's where he was sort of misinformed. He thought, and, and I'm not sure, and I get where he was going with it because he was still in fiat mind space. Right but in crypto world. And he was like, well, if I take my money out of the bank and I stuff my mattress with it, the money's in my mattress is no longer in the bank. Right. I'm like, yeah. I said, but that's not the way it works in 
the crypto world. You have a effectively a copy of keys and whatnot that allow you to get to this get to that portion of the blockchain where your transactions are effectively ledgered and stored. Right. And he's like, he started to get more and more nervous as I was talking to him. (laughs) And I said, he knew where I was going with it. I'm like, so the good news with those hardware wallets is that yes, they keep an immutable record of, of what you know to be the case and what the world and the decentralized blockchain knows to be the case. If someone hacks a different part of your access to what is known on the blockchain and changes it, nothing in that hardware wallet's going to make a difference. And he's like, crap. So I said, so technically you get a shadow copy of your money to put in your mattress. But then if someone changes the amount in the bank, the money in your mattress changes too. And he's like, oh shit. (laughs) So I was trying to use, I mean, and look, yeah. So it kind of dawned on him that there's, you know, you're still very much reliant on the, as you put it very well, the security and the integrity and the proper source uh, code development that's been done securely for these things. And, and, and for a while, there's going to be some glaring things that will pop up. There'll be, you know, mistakes made. And there are people that are dedicated to finding those. I mean, that's my job is trying to find these guys that spend a lot of cycles to, to break those systems. So anyway, I don't mean to, you know, necessarily say nobody go and play in crypto because it's imminently going to be stolen. It's not, it's just that it's just like any other, amazing whale of a target for an adversary to go after and they will spend resources to get there. Right. So in, in the work, I mean, in the work you're doing with Prevalion or just mm-hmm. kind of broadly, cause you mentioned, sure. you know, a lot of your work is, is tracking down the threat actors who are going after these things. Are you seeing, and, and clearly in the past couple of months, there's been, you know, a, a lot else to focus on with what's going on geopolitically and everything. But um, have you seen a rise in, you know, uh, threat actors and campaigns targeting blockchain related, crypto related stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. So what we've seen, and, you know, for those that are, are just the, the 30, well, even less than 30, the 10 second version of what we're doing, which is interesting is we actually hunt down and attack and infiltrate adversary networks. So we're sort loosely put and, you know, people get a little spun up on this, but we hack the hackers to see what they're hacking. Right, right. And what that affords us the ability to do is see who they're victim victimizing. And that may be a victimization like what we talked about, which is theft and all that. The other thing that's tied directly to what we're talking about is deploying things that run crypto um, mining operations on machines that don't belong to them. So they get right. to harvest all that. Now, the distractions of the war and, and that have bred, have, have laid fertile ground for those types of efforts. And yes, without question, these groups are absolutely taking advantage of this on one side. There's another side, which is that they're also where they may have already been deployed and have been mining for years are slowing those processes down because they don't want to get busted. They don't want to get mm. caught because they know there's a vigilance level coming up and people are going to be turning on more security. They're going to be more, um, they're going to be hyper aware of things that look anomalous and say so might be looking at traffic patterns that they never looked at for the last two years. Right. So they were making out like a bandit sitting there eating bag of Doritos in their boxes. <laughs> and now they're like, Oh God, you know, now they're going to bust me and they're going to, I'm going to lose my, my gravy train. So it's kind of both directions. There's yeah. the vigilance is picked up, but then so has the opportunities to ride the coattails of this Russian f- threat, if you will. Right. Right. There's but something you yeah. yeah, there's something you said in the in your uh, cyber war episode of Introverted mm-hmm. Iconoclast that just popped to mind, which was um, talking about you know it, potential attacks on U.S. infrastructure. I, right. I think is I think is uh, the specific thing you were talking about, 
And, you know, this notion of are we prepared or not, and then what it would take to come to a more suitable level of preparedness and how so much of that is on the private sector because yeah. a lot of these technologies, virtually all of them were, you know, developed and now maintained by mm-hmm. private companies. And as much as, you know, some of the private companies might be all for raising the level of preparedness, it takes time, it takes money, it takes resources. And if their main directive is, you know, being a for-profit company, that that's a trade-off that is is difficult to undertake right now, let alone right. how long it would take to build all these things. Um, one of the things about crypto and, and Web3 and the blockchain is this idea of, you know, one of the things that really fascinates me and is appealing to me, even though I, I do not fully understand it, is this notion of decentralization and this mm-hmm. idea that, um, you know, a currency in particular, cryptocurrency could be not regulated by a government and then, and, you know, so therefore not subject to, I keep hearing the word censorship and censorship proof, right. but sort of not, not subject to what a particular nation state wants to do in managing it. Right. And so if, if there are a lot of ifs here, right? But if, if that's true, and if that's a driving force behind a lot of the people who are investing and, and all in on cryptocurrencies, and we're moving towards an, an era, you know, where, where that's a, a bigger thing on the world stage. Are we going to see sort of a flip? I don't know if I'm phrasing this the right way, but I'm thinking about this idea of private companies, you know, mm-hmm. more and more. And already we have it in, in the current web, Web2, if you want to call it that, with, you know, what's the acronym? FANG, right? Mm-hmm. Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and uh, Google. Right. Being kind of these dominant forces. Like, are we headed towards, you know, a, a place where the private entities running these digital systems are going to just be even more and more kind of in control is the right word, but they're going to be the ones who are ultimately responsible for the security of, of currencies and, and every security of identities and all these things that go with that. I think to a degree, yes. Um, Everything has to be hosted somewhere. You know, this is the one thing that we're noticing with cloud. I know this is dovetailing into a much deeper rabbit hole with regard to cloud infrastructure and just how reliant we actually are. Um, you know, last couple of weeks, and not to not to d- diminish the evergreen nature of this podcast, but we no, had no. massive, you know, outages. Apple was out like two and a half days in a row. <laughs> not not yeah. consistently, but enough. No, but yeah, yeah. Like, what is going on? Yeah. You know, and it just doesn't, hasn't happened. And you know, a lot of theories floating around, a lot of fear mongering around that. So it has to be hosted somewhere. And, you know, where it, where these things live is indeed a, a risk in terms of, I would, I wouldn't so, so suggest because the de- decentralized nature of it inherently makes it better. And we can talk about that here in a second, which is, yeah that it is really hard for an entity to control all of it, unless you're talking about old school, old school being like three years ago now, um, <laughs> you know, uh, 51% attacks on a blockchain to use, so you can fork it. If you've heard of that before, you know, that's the, that's a hack of making the blockchain work on your behalf versus maybe what the community had. If you own 51% of the transactions on it, you now can fork it and control it. It's pretty interesting. It's a pretty dramatic attack, but yeah, go ahead. No, 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 no. I was just going to say, that doesn't sound like decentralized to me. But I don't, Well, yeah. it's not. That's the thing. <laughs> but when you get a nation state that possibly can do enough transactioning on it to essentially own 51% of the 
inputs into that blockchain, then you essentially have the means to change it. Now, they, I believe they've worked some technology into changing that. I know Bitcoin has that challenge. I know mm -hmm. that a few others do as well. I think Ethereum with their smart contracts have, have, I think there's work being done to try to limit that kind of exposure. But look, that was the first one that was kind of brought to light as a big glaring right. problem, which is that you can alter the blockchain. Stop saying you can't. It's not immutable. Right. There are ways. They may be a little dramatic, but you <laughs> talk about dramatic. That's what Russia and China are good at. Yeah. Right. Um, so, but as far as the, um, so access to the, to the blockchain and the speed by which it functions and all those things can be impacted dramatically and will be impacted dramatically by these groups. Like you said, the, the, the fang, the fang that will manifest for blockchain will be our gatekeepers to it. They may not right. be able to necessarily maneuver it or alter it quite as much, but they certainly can limit us and make it a painful experience intentionally or otherwise. And I think that will be the target for adversaries by, by every, every account at this point. Um, there was something, and, and, uh, I'm I'm all for rabbit holes and you know the cloud rabbit hole. We can go down down that one if you want to. Um, but there was something that uh, again going back to that episode, you were talking about the current mm -hmm. situation with Russia and and China already. You know, they have their their great firewall, as it's called, right? Mm -hmm. And this idea that um, Russia may be, uh, or, or maybe they already are, mm -hmm. going into the state where they're you know cutting themselves off from the Western internet, if you want to call right. it that, you know, that, um, so America and, and parts of Europe and whoever else are going to be on the internet that, you know, you and I are used to, or yes. I'm used to, I'm sure you're on internets. I've never even heard of with what you do, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but that, that Russia and whoever else may be sort of, you know, walling yes. themselves Deep off theory. from that. Right. Right. So what does that portend? I mean, it, it, to me, coupling that with this notion of, you know, and everything keeps advancing, but maybe being in this dramatic moment where things are getting, you know, pushed onto the blockchain, uh, mm -hmm. so to speak, it just sounds like we're going to wind up with a more and more splintered, you know, this age of, of globalization, right? Uh, as we're used to it, it, is is maybe ending, and we're going to wind up with a more splintered, bifurcated, uh, yeah. and you know, reality. Is that yeah? Is that where you think it, we're headed? It well, certainly, if this does um progress and manifest into a true split uh it introduces a host of things that are really challenging um so the, the first thing is going to be like you said there will not be a clear you know universal or global connectivity that that because china uh has just limited essentially their access they didn't and they certainly have their own internal systems but they basically have just essentially blacklisted or blocklisted certain things they right. haven't done the proverbial true walled garden approach right. to the situation right. Right. which okay. is what russia is sort of alluding to here which is to say we're going to completely decouple and and all that which as i alluded in that podcast i'm worried about that for a lot of reasons there's the humanitarian aspect which everyone's talking about which is the poor russian people that are simply just needing access to information won't be able to get it that's obviously terrible the scarier possibility here is that once you take or once they remove themselves from something that they're reliant on there will be no compunction to not attack it they'll, they'll go after it right and then we have really scary problems you know there's things like bgp hijacking at scale which is a very fancy technical term for really altering where uh addresses are advertised ip addresses are advertised right, right. and really reroute things to null environments and that could collapse 
systems fairly rapidly um, that we rely on that are very tenuous, right? So, and this is the other thing that's funny, blockchain advocates, you know, you know, the ones that are really excited about it kind of talk about blockchain as the cure for everything, right? right. Yeah. Solves yeah. it all. Yep. 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 And I think, it, I think it's really amazing technology because, and I've always suggested that blockchains are fantastic. It's a ledger, right? Like ledger's an accounting term for God's sake, right? It's literally, <laughs> you know. Everybody's super excited about accountants all of a sudden. Right. Isn't that, isn't that funny? And, you know, but it's exactly that. It's this, it's this ledger that everyone has a copy of. So it's hard to, cheat it. That's the whole point of a blockchain, which yeah. I think is clever. And I think things like deeds and titles and things that need to be kind of stored in a way that says everybody knows that Noah owns that microphone and everybody knows that Kareem owns these headphones because everyone in the world knows it. It's universally accepted that that's the reality. When you sell me your microphone, then that entire ledger across the planet now says that I own that mic and I sold you my headphones. And that's really what this is. It's this trustless, like the reverse of security through obscurity. It's, it's like security through illumination, um, right, right. if you will. Radical transparency. Right. There you go. Exactly. Take a Ray Dalio approach to security. <laughs> it's cool. And it, it works. And I think it's a very good, good concept there. The problem is that if it is not updated in a reasonable amount of time, which is becoming a problem with this, right? With the transaction speeds. Correct. Yeah. Like, yeah. Someone the other day was complaining about like I tried crypto for the first time and it cost me sixty bucks to get the money in in my wallet. Then it cost me a hundred bucks to send it somewhere. He goes, I literally spent more just trying to play with it than I effectively wanted to send. Yeah, and I said, yeah, that's a, and same problem with the NFTs with the gas required to actually mint the thing. And well, all and those. then I mean, if you step yeah. out a layer to you know, folks who are maybe less less tech savvy or a yeah. little bit older or whatnot. You know, I there's a story I know somebody who bought some Bitcoin from a kiosk in a grocery store mm -hmm. to give to uh, a relative, a grandkid or a nephew or something as a, as a gift, right? Like right. 10 bucks worth, right? Yeah. And so they gave the receipt and the mm -hmm. kid took the receipt and the kid's internet savvy and went on and was like, oh, wait, we have to create an account. And then mm -hmm. to create the account, you have to scan your driver's license as proof mm -hmm. of who you are. And it's this whole, you know, talk about friction, right? And yeah. then if you're somebody who, and I think rightly so, is a little bit healthily skeptical about, you know, well, sure. I heard crypto whales are getting, you know, defrauded. I don't, I don't, I don't I'm not yeah. a crypto whale. I don't even want, I'm not putting my driver's license out there. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot to jump through to. Uh, well, and it's funny it. because it's, it's old school KYC, uh, know your customer approaches to the problem that don't really matter. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, that's the whole anonymity concept around crypto. And by the way, I mean, this is a pretty interesting one. This could be an entirely separate podcast. I mean, you know, you asked me a little bit about what adversaries are doing and the ransomware yeah. obviously is directly tied to crypto, right? Right. right we right. all know that now. And what's, what's, and I've, I've been, I've been a little bit vocal about this and probably irritated people at times when I'm like, will you please stop talking about retrieving the Bitcoin, you know, back from the criminal, because now you're just pushing them to things like Monero. And for those who don't know, Monero is a truly kind of anonymous cryptocurrency. And it's really hard to figure out where it lives and where it's gone. There's no tracking it, not nearly as easily, I should say. It's okay. a lot of cycles. And then you have things like, remember John McAfee, you know? Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, he had ghost coin. He founded that which was another kind of iteration of a truly anonymous currency that had no, no KYC associated with it of any kind. Right, so right, right. inevitably, I think that it's kind of watching this. Um, 
it's it's Gibraltar today where you're seeing the Atlantic waves crash into the Mediterranean waves and you have these huge splashes of like, what? <laughs> you know, and that's what's going on today is that there's this attempt to use fiat rules on something that really can't mm. be can't be functionally tamed that way. Right, right. It's like we have to develop for the native medium to uh, exactly to right. Really yeah. So what so I mean, do you see use cases um, that aren't, you know, uh, <laughs> propping up the criminal enterprise, so to speak? Um, as in, do I for, see them yeah. for crypto for cryptocurrencies? Yeah, I mean, look, it's it was the dream, and it it had it, it's obviously carried the stigma forward, as we all know, right? It's finally sloughing off that skin. Finally, it's starting to not be so. Oh, this is just a currency used for illicit drug trades. Like Silk Road is the culprit right, there, sure, as yeah. we all know, right? Um, but it's I think it's finally kind of come out of the dark on that one. But but there's still this contingent that sort of thinks. And then, you know, ransomware certainly squarely put it right back into negative territory where it's right, like, right. Look, this is just facilitating fraud and, and and theft and all that. So it's it's this terrible, like kind of philosophical battle that this this world has to have. Now, coming back full circle to metaverse and augmented realities and identities, that I think will help usher in a utility around that being much more fruitful and usable. Um, you know, the, the worlds that oh man did, we could, we're getting into every little bit of it, but digital property kind of where we, you and I started the conversation when you thought about getting this going, Yeah, man, incredible. I mean, you know, and I, I think I was telling you about Anche Chung and second life. Do you remember? Oh that? yeah. 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 So for those that don't know, T- I mean, tell the audience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, second life was a 2d, you were looking at your computer screen, but it was a virtual world. And there's been several others. Absolutely. Yeah. A friend of mine created Kineva, which was uh, another one that was like shortly after Second Life. He was the okay. founder of Internet Security Systems and did that. And, you know, you had all kinds of stuff that manifested in there. You had online gambling inside that virtual world. Um, you had Linden, I think, currency, which is your... Which is oh, your yeah, 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 yeah. Right. You know? And there was this real estate developer that built your land out, would, would develop it. You'd maybe buy an island and then they would, or buy a, a, some sort of plot. And this, this individual would come with, with sort of using SketchUp to go create a beautiful house and then convert <laughs> it into some sort of, um, what was it called? The, their, their script. Anyway, irrelevant. But yeah, and, and it happened. This person became a real world fiat US dollar millionaire by doing things in a virtual environment that was just 2D. So just right. imagine the money that will manifest. And that's if organizations choose to go that route. And I think that it, they will, because there's a lot of utility here. There's a lot of flexibility. Um, certainly the lockdowns have facilitated people working from home. Um, Zoom only does so much. It's doing good for us right now, but that's only there's a limitation. You know, whiteboards yeah. on screen sharing apps don't capture attentions and right. you're not immersed. Right. The immersive nature of it will be interesting. Um, right. yeah. So, so, so this is kind of a good place to land because um, some of my friends from um, some of the consulting work I do mm-hmm. with larger companies who are B2B, but working with consumer facing brands, right? right? They've got a lot of customers. There are people I know who really want to learn about, virtual real estate and NFTs and, and, and cryptocurrencies and all this stuff, because they know that their customers 
are all of a sudden, like everybody else, like me, getting interested in this and thinking, oh, should I go buy a plot in Decentraland so that, Mm -hmm. you know, I can interface with customers there? I don't know who, I don't know what it'll look like, I don't know what will sell, I don't know whatever, but everybody else is doing it, I should do it. For folks like that who might be listening, I'm putting you on the spot, but do you have kind of like a, uh, you know, top five top five things to keep you and your company and your customers safe as you venture into web three or as you, you know, buy some crypto and play around in the blockchain? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And it, it, it goes back to what I was mentioning with that whale that I was speaking with and kind of yeah. giving him general cybersecurity kind of ideas around the problem right. here. Right. And, and, and if it's the yeah. same, if it's just cybersecurity yeah. best practice, that's crazy. Well, it's definitely the starting point without question. So things like good password choices, um, changing your password, keeping. Wait, can, your can you, I, I'm yeah. going to do the thing yeah. I always do, which is ask you a question, interrupt you immediately. All good, what, man. What is going on with the, what, I forget what it's called, but the phrase that mm-hmm. when you create a crypto wallet, and I don't know if it's just MetaMask or if it's all of the crypto wallets, but like, it seems to all come down to they give you this directive that says write down, you know, mm-hmm. a phrase, put it on a piece of paper and keep it somewhere safe because ultimately yeah. that's your last recourse. Like right. that just kind of blew my mind. Well, it's funny because it was it was not that it's actually pretty brilliant because most people will copy and paste something and leave it on their desktop in a yeah. text file. Right, right. And that just gets harvested and you're right. done. So, so this is actually safer. <laughs> yeah. Like it's crazy. Just just sadly, I got to tell you that the parallel story to that is that someone wrote it on a post-it note and then put it on the bulletin board behind them when their webcam was on. Of course. I'm like, yeah. all right, you wrote it down. You did that part right. But then you blasted it across the internet over <laughs> right. your camera. So just right. don't do that. So yeah, their their intention was for you to write it down literally with your hand or, you know, maybe, yeah. you know, because yes, the, the, whole, the whole idea is that it's going to be a hell of a lot harder for a you know, remote adversary to no one's going to come into your house unless you are a whale. Uh, this is actually the second half of my conversation with that individual, which had to do with physical security and, and literally steal the machines and then break into a safe to get those details because yeah. it might be worth it for those guys because they right. could get a hold of an immense amount of money and be, right. it would be worth the risk. Right. So, but yes, so that is the reason it is. Yeah. It is. Um, and I actually advise that of some of my more sophisticated clients that, that they need to um, keep things, locked up in a physical fashion that can just never be found electronically. That's yeah. the whole point. All right, cool. Okay. So sorry, I interrupted to get back. No, good. good passwords. Good passwords are, are so obvious. I know that sounds like a, a real classic thing. The other thing that would be very important to do, and if you have the wherewithal, and again, I understand budgets can be constraining, have a dedicated machine for it that okay. has uh, nothing really else on it running. Uh, you can't necessarily keep these things off the internet. It's pretty hard, but if you have the means to create, I have different, I, so you're going to laugh about how paranoid I am. I have burner laptops. I don't even have burner phones. So I burner tablets, you know, and it's just an expensive hobby or habit, but it's, (laughs) it's probably the best thing I can possibly do. Now I'm not suggesting people be as absurd as I am with buying a new thing every so often to, I I, I mean, to be fair, most people aren't in the sort of absurd line of work you're in. That's a good point. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, exactly. But if you can take what I'm doing a few notches down, it's it you end up in a pretty good state of of cleanliness, which is right. turn off your um, internet connectivity on your machine, or better yet, just shut it down when you're done doing what you're doing. Don't just walk away with it with it on, because it's it's that perpetual online status that these things have, and then you add a layer of using it for all kinds of other things, or letting right. multifamily members use it, even if they yep. have different accounts. Yep. You're asking for it. You're asking yeah. for it. so yeah. the 
good passwords, um, having a cadence and frequency and changing them, and then compartmentalization of your utilities and device because people use their personal phones for this stuff a lot in a lot of cases. Right. I don't do that. I have another phone that doesn't actually have a SIM card. It just uses Wi-Fi mm -hmm. and it has just the bare minimum apps associated with my crypto work on them. Okay. Okay. So it can't be sort of gotten to as easily. It can be, but it's just right. a lot harder. But it's just so, it's safer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So these are really basic concepts, but they really resonate with people because they're like, oh yeah, I probably shouldn't do it on my right, right. old you know, Windows XP machine. Well, I'm not even, I don't even have any crypto stuff on, on this machine, but I'm thinking about all the family members who've used it and, you know, what my password manager might look like. And I'm thinking, okay, so as soon as we're done, I'm going to burn this laptop <laughs> and go buy, go buy a new one and set it up the right way for once. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. exactly. And then encrypt things. I know this is getting a little more complicated, mm -hmm. um, but um, there are really good tools out there um, that, that allow you to very, and by the way, I'm being clear, this is encryption on your device itself, which things like Macs kind of have some of that in default, but I like to add another layer. And then there okay. are tools that you can use to encrypt stuff in the cloud. Right. So if you have all of your, like, I, I will usually screenshot or PDF like receipts of things or like credentials that, that are electronic that I'm not writing down by hand and I'll store them in a cloud environment, but I'll encrypt them there. The reason being there, which is logical, is that I can't count on and no knock on Dropbox or Box or Google Cloud or any of those things at all, but I can't trust that they won't get hacked one day. Sure. What I want to trust is if they do, then whoever is getting into my stuff is just going to get garbage and they're never going to be able to decrypt it. Right, right. So sound advice. Yep. Yep. Real basic stuff, but really that's kind of harkens back to the beginning of our conversation. Nothing's changed. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's let's end there. Cause it's uh, you know, it, it's fodder. There, there's plenty of fodder. It's all changing. It, nothing's sure. changed. It's all changing. Nothing changed. Right. Um, but down the line, there will be more rabbit holes to get into. Um, but for now, for folks who want to find out more, you've got your podcast, there's Prevalion, uh, you know, inside baseball. I know Prevalion's ramping up the blog, Mm -hmm. uh, as we speak, which is excellent. Cause there's, I mean, just a lot, of, even if you're not in cybersecurity per se, it affects everybody, but just a lot right. of fascinating stuff and the stories behind, you know, the, the technology, but also the, the people and the human aspects to how these things go down. is just, just really cool. So where can people go to learn more about sort of both sides of the work you're doing? Yeah, I, I do a lot of posting in LinkedIn. That's probably my preferred, um, social media, if you want to call it LinkedIn yeah. social media, it tends to be a little more serious and, and I can put some really good content. I, I do a lot of posting in there of stuff we're doing in the company and what I'm doing independently. And uh, yeah, that's probably the best place to go. And then I'm going to be creating a series here on the introverted iconoclast around um, the evolution of how security has kind of happened very much what we just ended the note that we ended on, yeah. which is that nothing's changed. Everything's changing. And really that change and the, the, the subtitle to this is the the risk in of velocity is really what I'm mm. kind of tuning it, but that's really what it's going to be because that's what's happened. Everything just sped up. So, yeah. Yeah. And sooner than later, you know, when we get into things like quantum and it's just going to be beyond human readable means. And so we're going to be in a place where we just won't know it's happening anymore. There won't be any clues and we'll just have to find a way to have, that's where you start getting legit AI down the road, actually part of, play, playing a part in, in warfare and counter warfare. And that's right. scary, scary proposition because we'll be out of the loop at that point. We're too right. slow. Right, right, right. We're already almost there. So 
All right. Well, you know, it, it's Friday as we're taping this. So I've got a good positive vibe to ride into my weekend. now. There so. you go. <laughs> a little bit of a doomsday, you know, Skynet comes online and kills us all. Yeah, hey, we're, so. we're, we're keeping it real, whether we're talking about, you know, community building or, or doomsday right. prepping. It's yeah, absolutely. Well, Karima, thank you for taking the time to come on and share. I mean, we're just scratching the surface of, of the sure. stuff that you're thinking about all the time. So uh, hopefully we can do it down the line, but in the meantime, Folks listening, the introverted iconoclast. It's on Apple, Spotify, all the places you get your podcasts. So, so go check that out and and absorb more of Kareem's wisdom and um, just really rich, soothing voice. <laughs> Thanks, Noah. Really appreciate you having me on the show. Oh, my pleasure, man. We'll talk to you. All right. My thanks once again to Kareem Hijazi for coming on the program and um, entertaining us and dropping wisdom and knowledge about the state of cybersecurity now. And as we head forward into Web3, the metaverse, whatever it winds up being called and whatever comes after that, it's important stuff. It's only going to get more important. So again, thanks to Kareem. Go check out Prevalion.com as well as the Introverted Iconoclast podcast. That'll do it for this episode of Metaverse. Thank you for tuning in, for sharing, for rating and reviewing the podcast. If you like it, give us five stars, write a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. Uh, It helps us grow. We appreciate it. And we will be back. I believe we're dropping another episode this week on Thursday. So keep an ear out for that. And then, of course, next week on Tuesday. Until then, my name is Noah Kravitz. Thanks for listening. Take care.